everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser podcast. I am your host, Timuchin, as always, from Chicago. And with me today is our regular duo. Gally is with us. Gally, what's going on, man? Happening, guys. Uh, all good, all good here. And we have the online warrior putting in the shift and the hours, fighting the battles online. Mr. Paul Bittler's with us. Paul, what's happening, man? You must be worn out. Waiting for the transfer window to close so I can come out of my troll hole. Yeah, I'm in hiding myself. Uh, just uh, I'm just waiting till after tomorrow is over to come out because it's just gonna get it just gets more and more obnoxious every day. And we'll kind of like talk about that a little bit. Uh, one of the rumors, which we'll start with our trivia first. Last week I asked you guys about Elliot. Which you guys? Uh, I think we had Matush last week. Uh, you guys did not get close. We have Galley this week. Let's hope Galley can get this one. Similar question. There were rumors about Villa being after Curtis Jones. I have to say that had to be bullshit. At least the price had to be bullshit, or it was just Villa rolling the dice, hoping they can get something. Because I heard 15 million. I was like, you gotta be shitting me. Especially seeing James go for uh, what about like 30 million or so today. 15 million for Joe's was pretty comical. But Curtis Jones, appearances and goals with the top team, not counting the youth team, not counting the U21s. So Bickler, go. This is not Premier League only. This includes all the cups, all Europe, and the whole shebang. What do you have? Was it appearances and goals? Appearances and goals. Dude, I... I swear to God, I'm just here to like support the winner. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even know why I'm on this thing. Um, I'll go six goals. Appearances. Is that starts or does it include substitutions? Appearances, man. Don't be nitpicking my trivia. <laughs> well, no, like I'm going to make an assumption and then you're going to be like, oh, well, it was starts. You're way off. Um, shit, I don't know. I'll go 42 appearances. Not bad. You're almost getting better at this. Hard to believe, but I guess couldn't get worse. But Gally, what do you got? I, I might get worse. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go less appearances. I think it's like maybe 31 appearances, and I think he's got four goals. Hmm. I got I got Jamie as my phone a friend lifeline. <laughs> who, who will be on Google right now, actually, like checking yeah. it out. But uh, total appearances, I'll give you guys the answer right away this week. So we can kind of like talk about that a little bit because it's going to come into the conversation uh, when we talk about, you know, transfers and what people are babbling about and things like that. But uh, appearances, 47 goals, seven. So Bigler, not too shabby. You might almost be getting good at this. Price is right rules. I win. <laughs> yep. So let's get start with this week's game first. Um, I don't know how much of the post-match you guys caught. And if you're a regular listener of this podcast, uh, first of all, thank you. Uh, second of all, uh, do check out our post-match uh, shows. Uh, we don't have it on Spotify yet, but it is in video format on our Facebook page as well as on our YouTube channel. Uh, we're usually online like within five to ten minutes after the final whistle. Uh, usually with different guests, a lot more visuals and stuff. We go over some stats and stuff about the game as well. And everybody's welcome to contribute. You can message via YouTube or Facebook. So we try to include those as much as possible. So it's almost like one big group post-match show, which has been pretty cool, actually. So we might eventually convert this to video and really drop the ratings once people see all three of us at the same time. But it is what it is. Got to roll the dice and see what happens. It's a new age, people. So let's start with the lineup first. When we talked about the lineup last podcast, I think we mostly had the same lineup for the most part, but I don't remember anybody having Elliot's, correct? Uh, so Bigler, let's start with you. I think the two big things, well, let's make it three big talking points for the lineup was initially Elliot's. Uh, starting as the third person in midfield. I think everybody had Hendo and Fab starting in this game. Uh, Bobby over Jota, which I think most of us agreed to just because of the pressing issue. And then this became more of a talking point as the game went on and towards the end of the game, especially when Costas came in for Robertson. 
So Bickler, let's start with you. What do you make of the lineup? Obviously, it's a little bit of hindsight involved now, but does that hindsight change what you were saying last week? I mean, I don't know if it changes what I was saying last week. I still believe that that should have been the lineup. I think the weird thing to me, and I think the major talking point is why <clears> – <throat> Why did we opt to, to sit and inform Navi for a not 100% Jordan Henderson on his weak side? And I think that's like, that's a really interesting question because did it have anything to do with Robbo not being 100% and wanting to put somebody in front of him? Did it have something to do with the fact that Klopp just doesn't trust Navi in this big of a game with that physical of a midfield? Does it have, or did Harvey Elliott play himself into a position where like, Klopp wanted to prioritize him being in the starting 11. Like, I mean, there's a lot of questions like around that specific situation, which I personally didn't agree with. And like, I'm a huge Jordan Henderson fan. Um, Like he, to me is like one of the most important names on that team sheet, but like he never plays well on that left side. And I just didn't understand sitting uh, an informed player that we've worked so hard to get back in form um, and healthy again for that situation like you know because he usually plays that right side where harvey is um so i've got this big question mark over that situation in terms of um why we did that and that's basically what stood out to me uh, the most in that entire lineup how about you galley i mean what did you think i guess before starting i think the main issue henderson is a good point actually i did not hear that as discussed, mainly because I think everybody assumed Henderson would start. The main talking point ended up shifting to Elliot, who had a great game, so it wasn't even a discussion. And I think that's where we lost Keita in the shuffle. Most people would expect probably Keita be instead of Elliot, so it didn't become as much of a talking point, I thought, just because of how Elliot performed, which was really good to see on a big game. First of all, the trust in him, and then seeing his confidence and his play on top of that. But uh, Gally, like, what would you make of that, especially the Robertson concept? I mean, I personally thought, and I think we all three of us picked Robertson just because of the scope of the game and the opponents. And having seen Robertson on the bench last week where he didn't come in, and knowing Klopp, I would think if he's on the bench, he was in really good shape. He could have really played if he really needed him to. So I thought it was a no-brainer that he'd be ready to go over Chelsea, but he looked far off from his normal self. And obviously like the battery was pretty much dead at the end of the game. Yeah. I mean, he was clearly tired at the end there. He had to come off. Um, I can understand the people that want to scream that Costas had to start, but I'm with you. Uh, I, I, as soon as I saw him on the bench uh, the week before for Burnley, I knew he was going to start and he should start. If Andy Robertson is ready, then Robo has to go. Um, Obviously, Klopp thought he would get all 90 minutes out of him. He couldn't. He was completely shattered towards the end. I, too, had a little bit of a problem uh, with the not giving Navi the start, whether that be for Jordan or Harvey. I thought Harvey played great. I'm not someone who's been screaming for Liverpool to make signings all summer long. I would like reinforcements, but I'm not someone who was screaming that we needed them. I do think it's a little shocking to the narrative and the story when you start a 19 year old in back-to-back Premier League games, uh, especially one of such a big magnitude like Chelsea, it does kind of scream like you need a player when you're playing a guy like that. So out of surprise. And I feel like they could have been better served to have started Navi and had Harvey to come off the bench and made an impact in the second half, uh, the way that they intended to make Tiago make that impact. But we all know, it's hard to make an impact in 10 minutes. Yes, yeah, see, I, t- I kind of like take a look at that totally different. I thought, if anything, it showed that Elliot, because of what he does in practice, what he's done in games and the confidence and the energy he brings, he was being selected. And that's what was odd to me, Paul, that the fact that, you know, it almost like had more confidence and faith in what Elliot would bring in terms of consistency as opposed to Keita. I mean, in the long run, I don't think like personally – like if we did sign somebody and I still do hope we sign 
one person for the front line, especially with like the African Cup and stuff being this year. But anyway, we'll get back to that. I mean, I don't think we need somebody for midfield because I feel like, you know, in the further weeks, you will have a Thiago that's ready to go the full 90 or obviously longer minutes. Curtis Jones, same thing. I just felt it was odd that we put more trust in Harvey than Keita, right? I mean, doesn't that what that shows kind of, especially in a game like this? Yeah, I mean, that's how I read it. I read it as a like a merit-based uh, start where he was going to honor the fact that he's been firing on all cylinders and been great for us. Uh, but I guess that's the same reason I thought we'd see Navi too, because I thought Navi has been, you know, relatively good doing the genie role. So um, to me, the way that I read that is that there's just still a genuine lack of trust in Navi's ability to defend uh, Mason Mount and James going forward on that right side with Robbo not 100%. That's the only way that I can read that. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a real weird one to me, though. It is a real strange one. So I don't want to get into too many too specifics of the game uh, in terms of like the penalty and stuff. I mean, I mean, it was obviously a clear penalty and it was a clear red. Are we pretty much all in agreement? So no point. I mean, I know there were a lot of, I initially, to be honest with you, when I first saw it was, uh, that's going to be a hardship. It's a red, but as you watch the replays and it is a rule, you know, it's just a rule. It is what it is. I mean, the hand is there. And it is, as a defender, been there, done that, where you stick your thigh out to block a ball, and the moment it touches your thigh, you know that's going to keep rolling. That's not enough of a touch. And by reflex, I don't know if that's intense, but either way, it's reflex. You kind of stick that arm out there, and that's what he did, and you're blocking a goal. It's a red card. So in some ways, we would argue, and I think this was like a point you brought up, Paul, during the post-match with your comment that in terms of our play, I think it would have been better for us if it was 11 v 11 the second half. We just took the penalty and he saw a yellow card because it really messed us up. So, Gally, let me come to you with this first. Obviously, the second half, we huffed and puffed, but we could just not get a goal through. Is this, I mean, what do you make of it? Because it is something we saw a lot last year even though this is, was against a very organized Chelsea and not just an average team. Yeah, I, I, it, did it bother me to not get a goal in the second half and come away with all three points? Absolutely. I felt it was two points dropped. I'm not going to call it a loss. Uh, it was a draw against a formidable opponent who was going to challenge for the title. And if we get those the rest of the way, we'll be in pretty good shape in these big head-to-head matchups. What I would say is, is that Mane was absolutely abysmal with his first touch, and I felt like he had nothing to offer. Um, when you add that into Robo not being himself, we had one half of the pitch completely uh, nullified, and I think you saw that with the attacking intent from Trent, Harvey, and Mo on the other side. And it was just one of those days where Mo didn't have his shooting boots on. He had a couple opportunities there in front of the cop, including that great one on the breakaway, and it just fell to his right foot. And uh, he just kind of snatched at it, and it went to the center of the goal. I think on another day, he slots one of those home. Uh, but I would have rather seen it 11-on-11, because I think 11-on-11, we would have played a little bit of that counter. We would have been a little bit more worried about them, and we would have drawn them out to play in space. And they just sat back. They were ready to get one point once halftime came, and I can't blame them. They probably left thinking they won. I mean, full credit to them. I mean, they they played well and they defended well. I mean, they defended hardcore too. I mean, Lukaku was literally playing like a defensive midfielder at one point. And if anything, I, they almost defended too much, I thought, because they didn't have anybody to clear to. It almost made it too easy for us to kind of keep possession and keep pushing. But Paul, where do you see the issue where we cannot still create? Is it just a good, solid Chelsea defense, or is it something we were lacking? I'll say this: like the one encouraging thing is that I thought that like we still were dangerous, and I think that we created chances. And there's a combination of missed opportunities and really good saves from Mendy, right? And the fact that you know Tuchel. For everything he is, he's he can make a team disciplined, especially defensively. So they're tough to break down, especially when they put five in the back with a bank of three up front and then Lukaku way up upfield. They're just tough. But I will say that at least I thought that we looked dangerous 
us and like we were capable of scoring. Uh, obviously it's disappointing. It didn't come, but like we had plenty of games last year where we were looking for that winner and we just never looked like we were going to get it ever. Um, I can't say the same. I thought we looked dangerous throughout. Um, I do think going down the 10 hurt us because I think at a, if it's 11 v 11, our counterattack is still on. And that's where we're our most dangerous when we can get, you know, when they're upfield in our half and Verge can hit them with the big switch up top to, to Mo or opposite field to Mane, like regardless of form, like that's where we're at our most dangerous. And what happened was once that thing went down to 10 men, we essentially have to pitch it, like we're playing football and they're half of the entire pitch. And that basically takes away our speed because we're not like, we no longer have that threat of just running over the top anymore. So, I mean, that's why though, I mean, that's why I thought, I know that we were wary of their counterattack, but I really thought holding Jordan Henderson in there with Fabinho, that's a redundancy like to me, because those are two players that do the same thing guarding against the counterattack. And I would have liked to see, you know, Thiago in 10, 15 minutes earlier. I think that, like I said, I think that Henderson and Fabinho, they sort of eliminate each other at that point. You need somebody that can do things like thread balls to the middle, find the half spaces that are very small when you basically compact the pitch down to one half. Yeah, I agree. I thought, especially like when I was just saying a minute ago, when, you know, Lukaku was playing defensive midfielder, I'm like, I think we're good. Like we don't need yeah. two defensive midfielders in front of a defensive four to kind of like hold them back. Cause it felt like, you know, obviously like Matip and Van Dyke together was able to kind of like handle Lukaku. So, and which was, you know, their biggest threat. I thought, they did not actually handle that well. I thought if Lukaku was up front a lot more, they could have probably countered and been a lot more effective, but they were pulling Lukaku far so bad. But they did keep their shape, and, you know, they shifted that, like, almost like a defensive eight block, like, left and right as we moved the ball. But I agree. I thought if Thiago came in earlier, and maybe Costas coming in earlier, too, it just felt... I mean, you could tell throughout the game, Robo was not himself. And he was just making some very poor passes that just looked tired passes. And we've talked about this before, Gally, in terms of, you know, that's one thing that we critique of Klopp is probably like the substitutions and kind of like waiting too long for him. I mean, do you agree that it was waiting too long or we did it Henderson over there to shift the ball around a lot faster? Well, I, I think in hindsight, if we knew what we knew now, Costas should have started the match. Because you don't start a defensive player that you don't think can finish it unless, you know, it's not like it's a, a planned substitution. So I, I think starting Costas probably made the most sense. Again, we all agree and understand why you start Robo. But as far as Jordan goes, you know, I, that comes down to the to the physios. If Jordan Henderson's healthy, he's one of the first names I put on the team sheet every week. So, you know, I, I don't have a problem with starting Henderson. I do have a problem with unbalancing your team to Paul's point and having to shoehorn Henderson into playing an area that he doesn't fit on the pitch purely because either your left back's not healthy or because you don't want the kid to be playing that side of the pitch. Um, I think those are more of my problems with the lineup is that I think that Klopp maybe overthought it a little bit. You know, we all love to get on, uh, on Pep when he tinkers and kind of say that he overthinks things in big matches. I felt like this was Klopp maybe overthinking uh, the starting lineup a little bit here against Chelsea. And I think it affected us as the match went on. I mean, we will have time to talk about uh, the Leeds game and the Champions League before, you know, on our next podcast, because obviously we have the international break now. But Paul, just taking a like a quick peek into the future, does this affect how we feel the trio for example against Lees or in the Champions League in terms of how we establish it or things are going to change anyway once Curtis and you know like Thiago and everybody's in 100% shape yeah I don't think we'll know that until everybody's 100% fit right I, I feel like we're kind of making lineups based on who's trained well throughout the week and who's the fittest right now I still think I still feel like that's kind of like where we're at right now uh, so I think it's going to take some time to gel I still I still think, you know, optimally, I think we're all, most of us are helping for, hoping for a Thiago, Fabinho, Henderson trio. And that is still the trio that makes the most sense to me, right? 
So, I mean, that's going to obviously Jordan's got to get fit a hundred percent. Tiago's behind him. That's got to happen. So I think we're just going to wait. I, I do, I do think that's got to be the preferred midfield though at some point. That was like the trio in my head as well, but having seen this game and kind of like looking ahead, I just thought maybe is that midfield going to be too slow in terms of like, you know, posing a threat to open up a defense for teams that come and set the low block again. I mean, you need Thiago's passing in there, but it's going to be the same situation. Will we need both Hendo and Fabinho there if we're trying to open up a defense? So is that still your like top three midfield galley? If we're playing home against, I know like a team that we know is just gonna sit back. Let's say Burnley. Obviously, we just played them, but let's say a team like that. Well, let's not say Burnley because they don't freaking play football. They just go out there and punch people. Let's just say a team that plays defense, like Norwich or something, when they come here. Well, they they don't play much defense either. We'll we'll call it Newcastle. We'll pretend that it's you know <laughs> ten years ago. Um, no, I I I do think it's still the preferred def- preferred midfield, and I think it's the midfield we'll see. Um, I also think that we will see a mixture of Kata still playing in there, and I'm excited to see what Curtis Jones can do when he kind of gets unleashed, whether that be alongside Thiago or um, with Henderson. What I'm not sure we're going to see a lot of in the next month or so is as much Harvey Elliott in the midfield because I think Harvey Elliott's going to end up being the fourth attacker and the first person coming off the bench because I think with Bobby being down for a little bit here with the hamstring, I think we're going to end up seeing Harvey going up the pitch a little bit uh, and playing as a sub because I can't imagine – I could be wrong. I'd like to see Taki get his chance. I think we've all said if we're going to keep him, give him his chance. But if there was ever a game that screamed for Taki to come on and try to do something and change something, it was yesterday for 10 minutes, maybe for Mane or to do something. And he didn't, I'm not even sure he got to warm up. Yeah. And that's kind of like brings us to the next issue over here of, Adding anyone to the front. You've been busy all freaking day, Paul, and the last couple of days online fighting the battles for stupid transfer ideas uh, and ones that didn't make sense in terms of like homegrown numbers and stuff. People selling like three homegrown players, signing three foreign players, just not knowing math or rules or whatever. But uh, today is the 30th. By the time uh, this podcast has dropped, it will be the last day of the transfers. Do you see anything happening, especially with this Bobby thing or just business as usual? We just keep going. I don't see anything happening, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we see something on the left field that nobody knew about that we didn't think about. Maybe an older veteran player, like, you know, a player on a, like a, a three to four year deal um, who is comfortable coming off the bench. Um, I don't know. It's just, you know, people think this is FIFA career mode and that we should be buying 16 players to plug in and, and exiting 12, you know what I mean? And it's like, that's not the way the roster works. And like, people forget that, man, there are players involved and these players have a say in where they want to go and what they want to do. Like, it's got to be a tactical fit for the squad. It's got to be a player that we like and the players got to want to make that move. And I think what we've found is we've identified players we really liked and we identified players that, you know, like, are interested in the project at Liverpool. But at the, at the time, a lot of these players want starting 11 football and they're at these, these prime asset ages where they're not teenagers anymore. And they're in their young twenties. And those, those are your like prime contract years. And so these guys, the Rapinas, these guys, uh, they want to be guaranteed in the starting 11. And that's just not possible, you know? And I think that probably factored into our conversation with Jeannie too, is guaranteed minutes. Um, It's just, it's a lot to go around. We've got to find a fit for somebody who's comfortable coming off the bench. And we feel is that quality that like actually adds that starting 11 when they come in. Right. And I think, you know, that's the problem. We've wanted quality, we've wanted quality depth for so long. And we felt like we got it like three or four windows again. And a lot of those players have just not panned out. So I don't see us adding um, mainly because we've got to figure out whether we can keep Ox healthy and where he'll actually sort of level out in terms of his level playing. We've got to figure out whether Taki can bang in the Premier League 
because he's shown flashes of brilliance at a very high level. Um, and then, of course, we've got Origi, who's just going to be uh, totally fine to wind down his contract and uh, go elsewhere when he's when, when that thing expires. Uh, there's nobody out there that's going to come in and match his wages. And we, you know, as much as everybody wants him gone, they, they, the, the club is you, you can't just like clip him. He's in a contract. So um, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that people do not put into their equation. I mean, when you talk about like FIFA career mode, even they're freaking changing that now and making it more realistic where the player has a say and, you know, uh, demands certain things in terms of... I was thinking like Rafinha, which, you know, I really like as a player. So when his name gets thrown out, I'm like, yeah, that'd be nice. But I mean, if you're Rafinha, Why? Why would you right. come and sit behind it? This is a guy who just finally got called to the Brazilian squad, even though he's not going to be able to go because of the rules and everything. But still, you know, is on the career up and he can probably go to a team that will tell him, hey, you're going to be starting over here because we just sold this guy or whatever. Why would he come to Liverpool and knowing he's going to sit behind, you know, Mo? And and that's the problem that we run into, I think, in terms of being able to sign somebody, like you're saying, is just being able to guarantee. So even if we do get somebody, I don't know. I think that's interesting that you mentioned somebody experienced so that, you know, somebody, you know, everybody would know him. I almost feel like if we do get somebody, it's not going to be somebody that's going to get everybody excited. It's just going to get a lot of people searching on YouTube <laughs> to see, like, who is this guy? What does he do? And stuff like that. And what do you, what is your take, Gally? I mean, where are you at with this? Uh, we have what twenty four more hours of this mess. So yeah, I, I mean, I I don't think if we I think if we sign anyone, there'll be just as much fallout about who we sign as if we sign no one, because I don't think it'll be anyone that anyone loves. You know, I know I've tossed out the Jared Bowens. Let's not go down Paul's hatred of Jared Bowen, but I think it'll be a player like that. It'll be a guy that fills. It won't be Ricky Lambert signing you know, filling Ricky Lambert's dreams and not that of any Liverpool fan or supporter. But I, I do think it will be, uh, maybe that works out. Now, there are those type of players that turn out to be great signings and cult heroes. Uh, no one was excited about Robo. Everyone was like, oh, wow, they signed a left back for $8 million from a relegated team. Great. And then he turned out to be an amazing uh club hero and now he's elevated his game to being one of the left backs and best left backs in the world and captain of his country. Um, do I think that's going to happen for Jared Bowen? I don't. I don't even think he'll end up on Liverpool probably, but if he did, I think the fan base would scream bloody murder. Oh no, it's Jared Bowen. But I also think if he came in in two weeks, came off the bench and brought it in on his left foot and scored a curler, everyone would be screaming, you know, that's my Jared Bowen, and they'd be singing songs about him in the cop. So I don't think it really matters who it is at this point because we are Liverpool, and therefore we complain all window long, and then we complain when the window closes. Yeah, this is exactly why I've been avoiding the social media, and I kind of, like, knew if we didn't pull the win, it would be the entire international break, especially if we don't sign somebody. This is what we're going to hear about, unfortunately, for the next, you know, 10 days probably and Paul you've been already fighting all the battles online you have a lot more energy and patience than I do that's for sure because I feel like you know some people are going to complain regardless of what happens because they just don't like you know FSG or whatever and they'll never be content even if you sign them Mbappe they'll be like how come we didn't get Holland with them or something like that you know I mean they're these people are never going to be happy and they have the thing that gets to me is they have no alternative in terms of you know this should be these people should come as owners because they talk about values and stuff and the only person that will satisfy their financial needs and wants is probably uh, ownership like a state ownership like city which I don't know how that goes with Liverpool values so where do you sit with, I mean, dealing with, I mean, I know you fight a lot of those battles. Is this fan base ever going to be happy regardless of who we sign or it's just a matter of just fans complaining? Yeah, probably not. And I think that's, I don't know, man. I think that is just what happens when you are a part of a support group, a supporting 
you know, supporter of a club that gets to the level that's as big as Liverpool and Liverpool has been, right? I think that all big clubs sort of have this um, infighting um, amongst supporters. Um, the patience really just comes down to the fact that I have more kids than you. Um, and I think that honestly, like, I, I think the thing that frustrates me the most is like just false narratives, like things that are just inherently not true that people want to be true because it's easier for them to digest the situation. It's like, I don't understand what's going on at the club. So I'm going to write my own narrative. The owners are cheap. Okay. So if you're going to go with like the owners are cheap, they're skint. They don't want to spend money. We don't spend money in the transfer window. How are you going to overlook the fact that they took the second largest wage bill in the entire league and extended the core of it on long-term extensions? Like that ain't free, you know, that just got more expensive in a big, big way. And so people think like people just see, people just focus on ingoings, incoming stuff. They don't ever focus on like what it takes going out for that to happen. They don't understand what it takes to lock in a core. Like people are talking about this being the worst transfer window ever. Um, it has been the worst transfer window ever for me personally, because I've had to deal with messy bullshit and boppy bullshit, Holland bullshit, owner bullshit. Um, shit. Now we're dealing with our freaking like Ed Edwards bullshit. Like, I mean, it's just, it goes on forever And like, for me, worst transfer window ever. We just re-signed the best left back in the world. We just re-signed the best right back in the world. We just re-signed the best center half in the world. We just re-signed arguably the best goalkeeper in the world. We're working on the best right winger in the world. We're working on our captain. Like, I don't know, like, that's a pretty damn good window to me, especially when we just went out and pipped the best center half prospect out there that Bayern's been circling for four years. We just pipped it out from under Bayern. He's now with us. Like, I don't under, I think, I don't, to your point, I don't think people are ever going to be happy because I don't think people want to take the time to really understand. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think not only patience, I just don't have the energy to just keep like kind of going over and over the same thing because people want stuff, but they just don't think the economy behind it, the numbers behind it. Like we talked about like homegrown players and stuff like that. So like they act like these factors do not exist and then just like, you know, set up their expectations that way. And that's what just drives me nuts. Same thing with the ownership, like anything to complain about the ownership. I mean, there are some people that I know and I see online and when I see a post, you don't even have to tell me once I see the post, I can tell you three or four people who posted that in our like group, for example. And it just gets so freaking old, the nonstop I consider that whining. And honestly, it's not only us either. I was watching uh, just for humor purposes. I was following like some of the stuff when Ronaldo was about to sign with City. And just for my uh, pure enjoyment and entertainment, I was watching some United fans lose their shit. And it was the same thing, like just complain about anything and everything. And I can at least say, hey, they've been sucking for a while. So they're kind of like more impatient and they want stuff done. They got to improve. They got to make up ground. They know their way behind and stuff. That's not really the case as much with us. Gally, you're usually more quiet online unless somebody really presses your buttons. Uh, so what is your secret? Because I need my only way out is just. just Somebody's got to do damage control and restore our good name. <laughs> well, that, that that was it, you know. You guys found me up after I get online. done. <laughs> you guys found me arguing online, and then I realized I should probably stop this, or you guys will find me somewhere else. No, um, I I've realized that I I can't bang my head against the wall or against my keyboard or against the desk any longer when it comes to arguing with folks who have no argument. When you want to argue that these owners don't care about the club and have done nothing for the club. You're just not paying attention. You know, we, we talk about the $50 million training facility, the state-of-the-art training facility they've moved into, infrastructure at the stadium, the match day revenue that they lost for over two, you know, almost a year and a half um, through the pandemic. So I can understand why people get frustrated and don't think they spend enough, but they've continued to increase spending every year that they've been there. And they've matched revenue with spending on salaries. So once we see these revenues come in and the more seats and the better 
fan experience will increase that revenue. I do think there'll be more money to spend. Um, but buying big name players has never been the FSG way, nor has it been the Jurgen Klopp way at any stop he's ever had. The Virgil van Dyke, Keita, and Allison, those were not his normal process. That was him breaking because I believe he had spent a year or two in the Prem and realized he wasn't going to compete unless he made drastic changes to catch up with City. So they went out and they invested heavily. But then he went back to his normal buying of buying young players and developing a squad. And I really believe he's still looking for younger, cheaper talent. And he's not looking to spend 80, 90 million on Sancho. He wants to spend the eight and a half and get the Sancho that left City, not the one that left Dortmund. Also, every year we hear the question, where's the money? Well, there's a report that comes out every spring. It's on the LFC website. It's readily accessible. And it is a rather lengthy read. It requires some knowledge of finance, but very basic knowledge of finance. Um, and it's fairly clearly laid out. So, like, you know, if, if you if you if you want to see where the money is, it's there. But guess what? Nobody wants to take the 20 to 30 minutes to read that when they can just get online and bitch about something that it's easier for them to, to digest. I think that's the thing. You know, we I mean, this is a hobby for everybody. So nobody really wants to deal with too much technicalities. You know, like most people at work have to deal with numbers and stuff. They're like, I don't want to hear numbers. You know, I just want to see like this. I think that's the problem. Like, it's a lot easier to kind of like not look into depth of that stuff and just kind of like I just want to sell stuff. Curtis Jones for Renato Sanchez. <laughs> I mean, people on that, that that was like another thing. It's just a matter of like getting the value. I mean, I saw, I mean, I've been seeing like some of the signings that are making official today. And yeah, it is a lot less than what you see anyway. So we're not the only one in this boat. But I mean, I run into this stuff in any league, any team you follow, I think it's like the same thing. It's just like people just don't want to get into the too much of a detail. It's like just a lot easier to kind of be like, you know, like a little toddler and be like, I want this. I want that. I don't care. You know, it's just that's kind of like the attitude I'm getting, which is why I'm kind of staying away. Uh, unfortunately, if we don't sign it after tomorrow, it will probably be toxic for another week. Uh, so before we get to Edwards, actually, we're coming into the international break. Do you guys even care? Galley, let's start with you. Uh, I, I care because I miss football and I'll watch some matches while uh, Liverpool isn't playing. So I'll watch a little bit and uh, hopefully the United States will actually qualify for this upcoming World Cup. And they're finally, I think, for the first time in two years playing a meaningful match. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they do. I care about Liverpool players getting back healthy. They're not being anybody hurt. And uh, I hope that they're all rested because I think that they get tired after these breaks. And I think it's important uh, that they come back fresh. Hey, mind you, we're not sending a lot of them away. It's making it sound like I know, you know, I know Turkish national team is not getting the Turkish players. I know Brazilians are not going. So I think it's going to be, a lot easier in that sense compared to uh, like a regular transfer window in terms of like a lot of players leaving, traveling long periods of time and stuff like that. But uh, how about you, Paul? I know you're not a big national soccer. I think an accurate picture of me during international break is me on my back under a pile of empty beer cans, waiting for some carrier pigeon to drop off an injury report uh on our players and that's basically the extent of uh international break for me <laughs> that was a day in the life of paul bickler brought to you by paul okay talking about transfers and numbers and everything so let's get to our next topic so the news came out today that edwards might not be extending his contract kind of like gone at the end of the year and i know kind of you know social media kind of like lost it on there. And obviously he has been a key figure in terms of, you know, all these numbers we talk of, and there's a lot to it in terms of what he has done with the contracts. Like I say, a lot of people don't care as much about the money and like the numbers. I mean, I kind of know this and I've been kind of like, you know, uh, when I was talking about it earlier, I know, you know, like you guys know I'm from Turkey. I'm a Fenerbahce fan and Turkish football is in the shitter in terms of, you know, uh, financial aspect of it. And 
it's the same thing, you know, like people want signings and then, you know, you can have the president go out there and talk for like an hour and a half. And he has like going over all the freaking numbers that all the European clubs right now. And actually he made a mention to Liverpool and uh, United as well during his like press conference and stuff. And nobody cares uh, the numbers part of it, but same thing with like the Edwards. I feel like there's a lot of, you know, stuff he's done to contracts that has paid off is with like a buyback sell on all kinds of like little things added to contracts. How big of a deal is it to you, Gally? I mean, obviously his, you know, uh, replacement is kind of in the works. I don't even know if he's going, if it's just something he said, like, you know, to kind of renegotiate his new contract kind of thing, or maybe get a new role with an FSG. But uh, what do you make of that news? So it's, it's big news because he's done a great job at helping formulate um uh, He's a huge key to the winning formula, but he's a piece of the formula. This is a piece of what ownership does. They've entrusted in him uh, to negotiate and run the business under a model that they agree with. And he has a philosophy that has allowed him to work with Klopp and the rest of the transfer committee as the head of said committee. So do I have faith that he's grooming his replacement? Um, I do. And, as a guy here living in New England who spent the first 25 years of my life watching the Boston Red Sox finish second, um, I can tell you that when the young whiz kid that was here that built the first two World Series teams left, everyone here said, we can't win again, we won't win again. And these FSG you know, morons have been smart enough to hire two separate people who have come in, instilled a similar model, worked within their constraints and won more titles so i have full faith that uh ward will do a good job if edwards moves on and i think it's a big if uh but i can understand if he wants to you know people have cycles in their careers and if he feels that he's reached the point at this place uh that he needs to move on he should you know get a statue built in his name for what he's done and hope that he instilled uh the same negotiating skills in his replacement I mean, I don't even know if this was kind of like in the works all along and it was just kind of like something like he said. I thought the timing was odd with a day left in the transfer market to close. We were already talking about that, but I know like the reason why it came out kind of thing. But you would think, and in any other job, if you're doing your job and there's constantly a dude with you training and watching every move, wouldn't you be like, is this guy my replacement? What's going on? He's like freaking like with me at all times, every time you look over your shoulder. Uh, so, I mean, maybe this was in the works at all times, Paul. Is that the sense you get? I don't know if it was in the works this whole time for him to go. I mean, I think it was probably in the works at like any good company, you prepare for the next wave of employees. Right. So, I mean, I mean, I think that was probably part of it. I think the reaction to this is really interesting um, because it's been pretty, it's been pretty dramatic. Right. I, mean, I, think, I think the doomsdayers really came out this morning uh, with the whole sky is falling stuff, you know, what happens if Edwards leaves, what happens to the club, yada, yada. And I think like, I don't know, I'm a, I'm a fairly emotional person. So like I try to strip. Yeah, I know. Shocking. Please. Um, I try to strip like, all. I try to strip emotion out of stuff and look at the actual facts, because a lot of times that sort of readjusts my actual response to the situation. Um, I know years of therapy it took for that. Okay. I don't even want to talk about how much money it took for me to figure that out. Right. Um, that, that to learn that actually your emotional response is just your response to expectation. Right. And that expectation isn't always in line with the facts. Um, but enough about therapy anyway. Um, like let's look at the facts, right? Like, so we get a, we get a report from the athletic and Ornstein saying that basically his contracts up next year going into the summer. And there's a possibility, uh, a good possibility that he's leaving. Okay. Then we get another report from Neil Jones that his contract is indeed up, that he has not told the club that he wants to move on and that the club is interested in retaining him. Right. So that's a totally different feel than what the athletic put out. So we've got two pretty, you know, diametrically opposed views on this thing in terms of the way it's worded. Um, at the same time, we have the tabloids in Spain, Interesting side note, through my 20s, I found that I blamed a lot of things on France. And in my 
thirties into the going into my forties, I've suddenly started blaming Spain for a lot of things, but anyway, um, unrelated tangent, uh, this Spanish tab was put up this morning that Edwards is keen on going and, and Real Madrid are keen on having him. Um, so like to your question about the timing of this coming out, uh, I got a strong suspicion that like, it's just been a slow transfer window. Real Madrid are desperate for anything positive. And this is spun out of the top boys in the back pages in Spain, hit the UK and blew up. Like we, we know things tend to do. Um, in terms of Julian Ward, They've been grooming him for almost three years. My guess is like all salespeople and all people that do business, they've had more than a few pints over this stuff. And they, I'm guessing that he's not some nerd with a pocket protector that just follows him around. My guess is he's probably pretty savvy himself, probably pretty well-spoken himself, and probably has picked up a lot of these tricks. And my thing is, and when we look at a successor for Edwards, we have to understand a lot of the things that we think are genius that Edwards has done are but they're also systematic, you know, buyback clauses, um, all that stuff, like installment plans, sell on fees, all these things that have worked out really well for us are part of a system that's been in place that can be replicated, you know, now whether they can be replicated to the efficiency and degree that Edwards has done them, that will be seen. Like we don't know that for sure, but the way that we've done business in general smart spending with these clauses that are in favor of us and do good things for us in general down the road. Those things are at the core of what we do. And I don't think are going to go anywhere, whether Edwards is there or not. So I think you just got to strip all the emotional bullshit away and look at the actual facts. And it looks a lot different. So first of all, I'm going to need the number of that therapist. Uh, Cause I got a challenge for him for a lifetime. If you thought Paul Bittner was a challenge when he takes the Mediterranean Mediterranean dude and tries to make sure like the emotion comes next, <laughs> he doesn't know. We take care of emotion first and the facts might come in down the road. No guarantee on that. Everything is emotion first. I know that's how it is with me at least, but uh, I agree to most actually. Yeah. In terms of, you know, having the systems in place uh, that somebody is going to follow onto and actually, I think, Gally, you were talking about this uh, about like a month or so ago in one of the podcasts. Maybe this could be a good thing where it has become harder to do deals in some ways just because everybody is like, wait, uh, there must be a cash to this if Liverpool wants to do this. Uh, or why do they even want this guy? Wait a second. Maybe he's worth a lot more kind of thing. So maybe this could be a good thing. There could be a silver lining after all if he leaves. And I, by the way, going back to the athletic thing, is it just me or athletic started out as like a really uh, more serious, solid journalism and then realized, wait, there's not as much money on this shit. So now it has started to basically put out stuff that gets clicks. That's correct. It's a, it's a larger version of what we'll do in a year. Sounds good. Uh, should we sign Coutinho <laughs> is going to be my headline for that. For the Correct. <laughs> <laughs> we figured soon, it soon out. As guys, soon as you guys explain to me how we get paid, you will see I sell out quickly. So what do you think, Gally? I mean, could that be in some ways like silver lining, maybe make the deals a bit easier to do? Because I think you mentioned it on one of the podcasts. Yeah, I mentioned that maybe finding um, finding gems to buy and sell isn't as easy when you when the other side believes they're always getting fleeced. You know, it's it's why I don't think people do much business with Daniel Levy because you feel dirty when the deal is over and you're not sure like what exactly just happened though. Like he he's such a stern negotiator, you always feel like he's trying to get something over on you. And I think that that makes it harder to do deals. And I think that Edwards has like, he has this great smile, but everybody knows at the end of the day, someone's going to write an article of how he sold you Dominic Solanke for 29 million, you know, and, and, and Jordan I the year before, and you were dumb enough to show back up and buy a third thing. Um, but I, 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 I really do think that you might find it easier to do business with other Premier League clubs if he wasn't there. That said, I think they're going to be worried about Ward as well. So I think as long as you're Liverpool and you take a hard stance, there will be always that um, 
worry on the other side of the negotiation table. And you just got to stick to your principles and do business the way you do business. Yeah, like I say, initially I was like, oh, that's not good. But then maybe I don't need a therapist. It's kind of like started as you look at more and more and more. As I saw more and more of Paul's posts online, I was like, you know. Hey, listen, some of us need to pay for help, okay? (laughs) Sorry that you don't. Well, I got you, Paul. I just need your Facebook post and it's just, it's therapy for me. (laughs) I got to say, eight o'clock optimism is a weird look for me and I don't know if I like it. Yes, that was pretty concerning, wasn't it? I was worried. I was worried for the health and safety of your children, Paul. (laughs) I know. I got a lot of like weird text messages checking on me. Uh, as yeah, we all thought about it uh, in our Discord channel and throughout seeing your uh, like ridiculous over the top optimism and positive posts. And I was just like, what the hell is going on? I thought there was something wrong with me, but I still keep my role. Matish tried to steal my pessimism last week, but he's a rookie, he doesn't know what he's up to. So, okay, we have 24 hours, I think actually less now. Uh, now that we're recording this on a Monday night before this uh, freaking transfer messes over, uh, then we have some international, we have the international break, a bunch of international games kind of like jammed up within two weeks. I'll be honest, after the Euro fiasco, I could have gone another six months without watching the Turkish national team and seeing the coach in a stupid ties. But I guess we're stuck with that for the next week and a half over here. And then next Monday when we meet, we might or might not, more than likely not, have a new player. But then we'll be getting four leads and the Champions League games. And we're going to get into the traffic of having midweek games every single week. So it should be a wild ride. Gentlemen, thanks a lot for joining me this week. And to all those for listening, uh, stay tuned uh, for some other new stuff coming on too. Hopefully we'll be having this in video format soon and scare you guys away, I would say. But uh, stay tuned in the post-match uh, shows as well. Uh, please send in your comments, anything you want to see on there in terms of numbers, stats, and stuff like that to make it as comprehensive as possible and where you want to see Galley travel next. I think Galley might be out of miles pretty soon, so we're going to probably go out to some of the sporter clubs and talk to their presidents and have them show us around and stuff like that as well. So that should be fun. Gentlemen, have a great week and see you all next week this time.